Charles, thank you so much for being here today. I It is an honor to have you on the podcast. I've followed you for a long time. All the work that you've done uh, with the Cut the Bull and the Charles Love Show and your radio show, it is it, it is great to have you here. Thank you for being here. Good to be here. I'd love to well, talk to you. I know who you are. I've followed you for a long time, but I want to know... I, I want you to tell us who is for the, my audience who may not know you, who does need to know you, and will need to describe subscribe to everything that you do. Um, definitely, who is Charles Love? Well, I like to think of it if, if asked that way. Mm-hmm. That Charles Love is just a regular guy. Charles Love is someone who um, sees the cultural shift. I kind of notice that there are problems within the culture and things that need to be addressed. I'm a solutions-focused guy, so I try not to. I mean, we're all human. We're not perfect, but I try not to get hung up into partisanships or, or, or political stuff or, you know, going along with things I don't agree with because the right people say it's just like, or if someone has a good idea, uh, I am willing to say that's a great idea, but no, I'm against it. Why would you be against a good idea? Because in practice, it won't work. So it doesn't matter how good the idea is, you know, just real. And in the wake of things, because I started speaking about this stuff well before it got as crazy as it did uh, the summer of love of 2020, but that created a pivot and people just completely lost their minds, which is why my book is called Race Crazy. But I, I try to use that, my minor platform to say things that are different than others because um, a lot of people have some really intelligent things to say about our problem and we're all busy so why just keep saying the same things that they say there's overlap of course but my focus is a little different in that one is specific to solutions but um, beyond that it's not political I I often say we can't vote our way out of these problems but then lastly, we have a lot of really uh, wonderful people. I'm sure you listen to some. If not, you know them. They do great work. But they are academics, and they debate this stuff on the ac- academic front line, which is very important because a lot of this stuff came from academia. But at the same time, in order way the only way we win this is if we have a larger swath of the population, the people who all of this madness affect that are like what we used to call the silent majority or no one's speaking on their behalf, but they don't listen to them. So I kind of call myself the, the intellectual whisperer, right? Don't call me an intellectual, call me the intellectual whisperer. So I read the books and I get their, get what they're saying, but I also talk in the way that other people talk and I travel in circles of regular people. So I try to make it take what, you know, a Glenn Laurie or a Kendi or a, uh, you know, uh, Michael Eric Dyson, whether left, right, or center, what those people say, um, the, the, the hallowed halls of the think tanks and the, uh, academia, and translate it to regular people. So this is what I want you to hear. I'm not telling you what to think, but this is what is being said. Do you believe this? Because they get to vote too, mm-hmm. and it's a far larger number of them than there are, you know, the, the left and the right, technically. So if you get them to sit home, to shift their views on certain things, to speak out about what's going on with the schools and gender and race, I think that will have a great impact. So that's kind of, you know, what my angle is on what we're facing today. Wow. Well, I, I will say this, that you were ahead of the curve uh, uh, on, on these issues in, in our society. And I appreciate the, the attack that you do take against it of trying to distill 
the the kind of academic jargon into a way that the middle of the bell curve can understand, you know, and that is uh, such a valuable service that you offer. In that vein, the the wokeness stuff, I think, to most normal people just seems outlandish. It seems crazy. But there have been a swath of that uh, population, I think, that has been caught up in this. And they seem to think that it's because it's helping, you know, um, classes of people that need to be helped right so you don't see it that way you know or i don't see it that way who who does the woke help what is what does this agenda help well that's a really good question i will talk about what it helps and what it doesn't help and what it does but really briefly you're not completely wrong but i have a slightly different view on the people that you say the normal people that see this and then kind of get swept up Mm -hmm. not that it's not true but there are nuances to all of this stuff. And so what I see, you have to, you have to, it's like when they give you a poll. Uh, I talk a lot about truth and how to assess it. Cause a lot of people, like I will get to it, of course, the 1619 project. I wrote a scathing review in my book about the, the, the project. I have serious problems with it, but I'm also one of the few people who write against it that say that ah, 70 to 80% of it is fact. So then people look at me and say, well, if you're saying it's fact, why are you attacking it? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's some truth, but it's not necessarily the truth. Yeah. And so this, you know, you have to look at, you know, they throw out a stat and it may, may be true, but you have to dissect it. So what I'm saying is that, yes, some of these people got swept up in it, but you have to, if you zoom in and parse out those numbers and look at them, they're different groups that got caught up in it for different reasons. So like white progressives and upper middle-class liberal whites got caught up in it because, and, and people talk, different people focus on different parts of this. So I think that, you know, uh, Shelby Steele and Bob Woodson do a great job of this one. They say it's absolution, right? It's a way to cleanse their whiteness and to make themselves, so they're not doing it, even if they're right. If Blacks are oppressed, all of us, they're not doing it because they really care about Black people. They're doing it because it makes them feel better, right? That's like, well, if I Mm -hmm. give a little bit, if I sign on, if I put a flag in my front yard, if I put a sign in my window, I'm doing, you know, put my fist up a couple times, say I'm down with the call, call myself an ally, I don't have to do anything else. And a lot of, to their credit, a lot of pro-Black people call them out on it. They're like, you just say, you know, like they don't like Biden because they're like, it's all window dressing. You're not doing anything to actually help people. You're doing stuff because it makes you feel good until it's actually about the Black people, whether you agree with it or not. This is not me saying they're right or they're wrong. Even It's just saying, if there's a problem in Black America and it should be fixed and it's the government's problem and it's systemic racism, then you fix it by finding the root of the problem and fix it. Not by just saying, hey, I'm going to give you a holiday and I'm going to ban lynching, which hasn't happened in 70 years, right? Stuff like that. So that's the segment. But then there's a part, like a lot of my Black friends, we laugh about it. You know, they don't even think about it consciously, but when I bring it up, they laugh. They don't buy this crap. They do have a uh, have a higher sense of, uh, think of there's a larger percentage of racist whites in the country than I do, right? So let's say mm-hmm. I think it's 2% and they think it's 12%. They don't think it's 90, right? What, but what they do say is that there's some racist white people out there. I don't like it. I wish it was gone. doesn't really stop me. But because the, the country's dominated, the white culture is the dominant culture, whatever case, white people are most of the people. The country kind of sees things as mainstream, that mainstream population. I've mentioned this a couple of times and people laugh. They just think it's funny. They think it's funny to watch white people squirm and have to talk about this stuff. It, they get a kick out of it, right? They, it's not, it doesn't mean they buy it. They just think mm-hmm. it's funny. It's like good for a change to watch you squirm and, and you know, 
have to fight for your job just because you said something that's factually true. It's silly, yeah. but they think it's funny. So there's them. And then there's some that, that are, let's be honest, we're all human. So there are some people who really think reparations, for instance, are, are due and they can lay out the reasons why. doesn't matter if you agree with them, they're serious about it. And some just say, wait, wait, if they get reparations, I'm going to get a check. And you say, yeah, like, okay, then I'm for it. I don't even need yeah. to get it in jail. I don't care. I may not, you know, think about it that deeply or think it's right. But if I didn't get to check, that's fine. So I am like, if they're going to make policy that's beneficial to Black and I'm Black, then okay, I'll take it, right? It's not like they're buying, drinking the Kool-Aid, saying everything that they're doing is, is right or they sign on, wear BLM t-shirts. They're just like, okay, that's cool. So we can't just zoom out, look at a number and say, all these people are swept up in it. It's all I'm saying. There's different reasons why, but the vast majority of those people don't just flat out say, no, everything they're doing is fine. Yeah. Well, I think you hit on some great points, especially uh, let me let me hit the first one, which is I think we can label that virtue signaling. Why? I mean, there, there's a lot of what I've seen in my field in academia and music or whatever. There's a lot of, OK, I'm going to save my I'm going to save my own skin by being an ally. Right. Mm -hmm. And this seems to be going into uh, where we'll hit next. Uh, allyship, the, that actual word seems to. You can't be a part of the same group to be an ally, right? You have to have to be a separate group. And that that is kind of antithetical to the whole idea of the United States of America, right? It's like if 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 I am identifying as an ally to this identity group, right? I can never be one with them. And then there has to be a hierarchy, right? And and it's like they they play I, I see a lot of liberal academics place at them uh, people of color if you want to use that term up on this pedestal in their in their actions but in their mind it's really for themselves right so what for the normal person these words like allyship even racism that i think has been defined you know explicitly in terms of okay racism is now just any inequality at all how would you explain that concept because that's a deception, I believe. It's a deception. How would you explain that concept to the normal person? Um, that this is just a virtue signaling person trying to raise their own estimation by saying that you're, you know, they're, they're raising yours. What, what, well, how would you explain that? Well, you're asking the pro. I mean, I don't take too much credit. Like I said, there's far more intelligent people out there than me, but I am the man when it comes to this. I'm the pro. So here's the thing. The first part is, is that they make it easy for you because as, as much as we who are against this push back against them redefining words because that's a problem especially for me personally just not not left right not culturally just separately words matter to me so when you just say something that means something else and then say this is not what it means overnight i have a problem with that yeah but but when i sit back and i think about it they do make my life easier so the first part like you, you i'll get to how i explain it to them but you talk about allyship you make it i'm going to sort of piggyback on what you said because you make a great point that you, you you're actually like you know see you're an academic i'm gonna break it down in a way that people get it what what mark really just said is that they say they want to help you but which they may want to but to be your ally they must assume that you're less than right so they're being that's the separate the part that's there they're basically saying because let's face it in order to be your ally you must need help so yeah. they're obviously saying there's something lacking in you, Black man, that, and I care about that, so I'm going to help it. Now, to the people who do think that they have a deficit, they'll think that's great, but that's not most people. If it's, so it's all about how it's worded. 
So that when they started calling it rac racism is separate. Redefining racism is, is smart. That was pretty sneaky because people already have a belief of that. So if they see something's racist, they're going to have a, a, a negative mm -hmm. effect to it. But when most of my, the people I know hear allyship, that you know, it's a it's a visceral reaction to it. They don't like it. They're like, first of all, we have to ask for help before. It's great for you to to, to say I'll help you when I ask for help. But if we didn't ask for help, who the hell are you to say I need help? Right. right. So the allyship, like that's pretty consistent throughout my friends and the people in my circle, regardless of if they're in the 30s or 50s, regardless of whether they're college educated or whether they're liberal or conservative, they have a lot of similarities. And that's one of them. They're like, what do you mean ally? And one, wouldn't I have to know that you're my ally to be my ally, right? To help me, I fall down into a pit and you want to pull me out. Don't you have to physically be up on the street level to pull me out? They're being allies from somewhere far away. Right. They just said, well, I put a sign in my window. What the hell do you want? I'm your ally. I said ally. You know, I, I, I'm a wealthy um, Hollywood actor and I made a video with a somber face and say, oh, so, so that makes me an ally. But the black people are like, I've never seen you. You've never done anything. So you're not really an ally. So that when they do those kind of things, they look like fools and it helps. So keep it up. But with the racism, you know, you have to convince it. And I'll give you one example. I talk a lot about education, you know. Mm -hmm. So my friends think some of the stuff that happens is funny, right? The, the white squirming about whatever. They think cancel culture, they totally disagree with it. Especially now, one of the weird things, sidebar, they disagree with it but thought it was funny until it happened to Kavanaugh, right? Then it was different because then you have 40 and 50-year-old black men like me saying, well, what happens if somebody came to me 30s and came up into my job and said, well, 30 years ago, Bob did this, uh, and now I have to prove a negative. So they had a problem with that. So it's already a way set up for them to push back against it. They just don't know. So they hear the words that they use, racism, this, systemic racism, we got to push back in patriarchal white supremacy. It's like, yeah, I've always thought that. Well, I mean, about time they figure it out, right? So they kind of agree on the surface. But then I say, okay, so this is how they're going to fix it, Bob. What they're saying is, so you got kids in fifth grade. It's like, yeah. So what they're saying is they want to teach the black kids and you want your kids to, to achieve academically. Well, they're going to help your kids by teaching math and English um, through uh, in a culturally relevant way. I said, what do you mean? You know, they're going to teach it so black and uh, the black kids can understand. So there's a gap and you, you agree with the left that there's a gap and they want to close it. So what they're saying is blacks learn differently. They can't really keep up. They're not at the same level as whites with math because of a cultural issue. So if we teach blacks the way they they, they learn it, you know, then they'll be able to catch up. You want them to catch up, right? And they're like, well, what do you mean? They're getting offended. I'm like, no, 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 don't get offended. I'm just saying, okay, so blacks are inferior. And, and if we teach you math and we write out a formula on the board, the white kids say, okay, the answer is 42 and they move on. You don't really get it. So then we put down the paper because you've come from the oral tradition. And then we look at you and we go, okay, four. And we make sounds and we do this thing. <laughs> And we bring out uh, uh, some black faces and then we change mm -hmm. the name to Tyrone and then maybe you can get it. And they're like, what the hell is that? Right? I'm like, right. no, 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 why are you offended? You said you there was a gap. It's systemic racism. You want it closed. They found a way to close it to teach you like you're inferior. And then right. so you explain it like that. And then they're like, no, I don't want that. What do you mean? I went to college. All my friends have got, we're doing well. Why, why are you acting like we're all like inferior to you? It's just the same old racism. So I mm -hmm. let them get there themselves. I just give them the information. And so what, what I find is the problem, and it works, but the problem is it's such a long trek, right? Which is why a lot of people don't do it. Because you give them an example, what do you get? You yeah. get, yeah, that's crazy. But that's one example.
right? Yeah. So what happens, it, it takes work. I don't jam it in their face. I never say Biden, the crazy Democrat. I never say Democrat. I just say, what do you think about them teaching blacks differently? I disagree. What do you think about them telling your grandkids or your kids that uh, they can change the theory? You should respect transgender people. Of course you should. Isn't there different from if, if a boy in your school decides he wants to live as a different gender, that you keep him from being bullied and you give him the support he, he needs? Most people would agree with that. Isn't that different from walking him into the front of the class and saying, okay, having an assembly, bringing all the mm -hmm. classes together, even the classes he's not even in, and saying, all right, boys and girls, I want to let you know that Bob is now Lisa and he's a girl and he's transitioning and you can do that and you too can transition if you want to. Right. And that's all this, but so if you if you push it, that's different from protecting and they get that. So when they talk about that, they understand it, but they're like, wow, I'm skeptical that people will be that crazy. Prove it. So now I just need to give them enough examples because you give them one, that's one. You give them another yeah. one, but that's just the East Coast. They're crazy. Then you give them California. Come on, it's Hollywood. Then you give them their kids' school. Then you give yeah. them this. Then they're like, okay, this is uh, right. Right. Well, so unfortunately, uh, most people don't have time to do that. But that's how, you know, the secret at the end, usually you get to the end and you talk about solutions. The secret is, I can only, you can only do 10 to 15, 20 people, whatever's in your circle, right? We can talk about it. People pay me, I both speak. Yeah, but usually you're speaking to the choir or you convert one person. The key is mm -hmm. for everyone who sees that there's a problem in this to just do it. They don't even have to go be public speaking. Do it in your circle. I talk to everyone. If I get in yeah. an Uber, I'll ask them a question about something not specific just to get their feel on a problem. They'll complain about something, whether it's, you know, the taxes or the schools or something. And then I just strike that nerve and then I just poke it for a little time and I get out that Uber. Right. Mm -hmm. but so if everybody dealt, did that with the people you work with, the people in your family and you do it like and not not a political way, I think you can affect change. The problem is it's hard to get a lot of people to do it because they're afraid and they're silent. And, you know, it takes a while. They're not going to just you're not going to tell them a story on Tuesday and Friday. They're, they're going to be like, ah, you know, let me pick up a sign and go fight. You know, it's going to be it's going to take a while. But you have to. It, it took a while to get here. And we got here so fast because people sat quiet they saw the problem and they just shrugged and said that is crazy but ah, that's a one-off if we had right. said something 10 years ago we wouldn't be here so unfortunately that's where we are now we're at a place where we all have to do something whether it's you know financially time or whatever or if it's just conversations person to person but we have to do something well and i think that's where the left has really picked up on this you mentioned spheres of influence and i see this all over in dei trainings um in schools is that they're weaponizing education Right to to um, further extend their own spheres of influence by by indoctrinating kids to do the same thing that they're doing to them. So it becomes a systemic process, and I think that's interesting. Um, I've always found it interesting that you use the term systemic racism uh, as a, as a cudgel to say we have to put this system in to defeat that system and their system, just like you said, brings the kid up in front and says, everyone can be this. Well, kids are enormously imp impressionable, right? More so than adults. Adults are more set in their ways, right? And you get them, especially, I think teachers are, are incredibly susceptible to the kind of uh, indoctrination that you would get uh, in the same vein you would get uh, from a teacher to a student in a public school because they they're in that realm and they think well they want to be smart and this is what the smart people are saying and i don't want to look stupid so i'm going to go along with that because my whole job is to be smart right well i i i love what you say about the spheres of influence and making sure that the normal people that do get this the the everyday person talk to their people in their spheres of influence because that's the only way a proactive offense 
is the only way to beat another proactive offense. You can't just defend, defend, defend. They're going to back you up, right? But going back to education, the 1619 project, I think, was the kind of tip of the spear of, of the systemic racism in a in a uh, narrative or the, the, the America was founded on slavery. It was sustained by slavery. It was built by slavery narrative in schools because so many schools have adopted this starting with history. Right. I think it's branched out into English. It's branching out into the, into the arts. Um, but what's wrong with the 1619 project? Well, well, let me ask you this. What's right about the 1619 project in terms of just base facts? And then where does it go off the rails in terms of context? Because I think as you would agree with this, all things context is key, right? It is king. So what's what's right about it? And then what makes it overarchingly wrong? In, in, in... Right. Well, what's right with it is what makes it dangerous. If it was just a, a, a bunch of lies that could be easily debunked, although there's some mistakes. But I mean, if everything about it was untrue, then everybody said, look at this crazy stuff and you move on. But it's mostly factual. It's a damning uh, um, description and presentation on America from every facet. Um, and um, for the most part, it's well-written. It is uh, very graphic. It's like, it's like a movie. Uh, screenplay, right? It's written in a way that, that you can close your eyes and you feel the imagery. You can put yourself in these terrible situations. And it's, it's, it's designed to point out that it touches every facet. So for those who don't know, obviously they know what the project is, but basically the 1619 Project, like you said, says that the country was founded and built on anti-Black racism. Uh, it is in the DNA of America, which is one of my problems, because right there, it can't change. And what's the point? Like we talk about transgenderism, right? You can do take the uh, hormones, do everything, look like a man, look like a woman, whatever. But what are your chromosomes? They're the same, mm -hmm. right? That's what you're saying about America, which, you know, me being the logic guy, I just argue and say, let's assume you're right. So why are we even trying to fix it? When you tear the system down and build up a new system, it's still going to be a racist system because the DNA hasn't changed. Yeah. Right? That's the one thing. But no, so that's the good thing about it. I think that it does show some things. I mean, like people know some negatives, but it it, 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 it shows you the negatives in every way. So that's what I was going to say. So there's a about 14 essays. So there's an essay on why everything else, all the different problems that with America that came from its founding. So there's an essay on capitalism. There's an essay on criminal justice. There's an essay on, on music. There's an essay on traffic. There's an essay on democracy. There's an essay. So it's a, every facet, right? of America, there's an essay on it, uh, pointing out the problems America has had along the way. That's fine, right? Here's what, where the problems are. If I simplify them to just, you know, we can talk about them in detail, but simply there are lies of omission. So even though what you're saying is true, you make it a point to leave stuff out. So if you're telling a story and you uh, well, tell me what happened. Why are you two fighting? I said, well, we were on the playground and then he said, I don't like your shirt. And then, you know, I, we went, walked over here, and then he started punching me. The same voice said, I don't like your shirt. All those things are true. He did say that. He did punch you. And when the teacher came over, he was punching you. But you mm -hmm. left out the fact that you picked up a rock and threw it in the back of his head. That is mm -hmm. important to the story. So they leave important things out, which I, I'll get to. So that's just one, right? And then, so there's things that they leave out. And then the bigger thing is, even if you assume everything they say is true, they make inferences that don't logically flow from what they're saying. 
Not that they all can't be possible, but they say it as fact. So if they say, Mark interviewed Charles on this particular day, all fact. Mark asked this question and Charles answered it. It's exact question right from the video. You can go find it. It's fact. Mm -hmm. And then that means that Charles XYZ, and you just make this assumption that the, the, the question had nothing. You can't get that from that question and that answer. You just assume it, right? Right, mm -hmm. you just assume. Like it says things like all whites. How can any, most people know if you say all, that can't be the case, right? So, and then there's, there are factual errors in the project. So the reason the project is a problem because there's enough truth that if you, you give it to kids, you know, 11 to 17, they're learning it. They don't have enough history to a foundation to understand it or no one's the person who's teaching it agrees with it so no one's asking you to challenge it right so they look up the stuff so on the surface it seems all fine it's really bad and then they don't there's no nuance and no context to it and people say how you have context to racism well the fact that there's nothing positive in it nobody honestly even the most anti-american american person no no chomsky nobody nobody in those honest moments would say that 100% of uh, American history is negative. There's nothing positive ever happened in America. So right. if you're gonna write a treatise on the whole history of America, you have to put something positive in it. There's not one thing positive in the entire project. First, right, that's, that's an issue. So that should be a red flag. But beyond that, they say things like all. Oh, so they say all whites this. They say that, but for slavery, America would never be built built. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem logical. And you have no way to prove it. So you're, it also forces the people who have problems with it, they're backed into a corner to try to defend, uh, prove a negative or defend against something that never happened. So how can I prove that America would be similar or the same if slavery never existed here? Because it did. I can't go take it out right. and say, let's rerun. Let's run it back. Right. That would be like if we played a game and I beat you by 20 and you say, well, if Charles wasn't playing, you would lose. It's easy. <laughs> we play the game again and Charles benches. But right. if it happened five years ago, we can't do it. Mm -hmm. So it puts you in that position and, and, and forced to say that. And then it's so so some so quick examples and I'll let you get back in. So people because people may say, well, what do you mean by lies of omission? How important can these omissions be? Well, it's a project about America and its founding. There are no quotes from the founding. Yeah. So they will say what the founders believe, but I don't get to offset it with the founders' words, right? Because mm -hmm. I, you know, know what some of the founders said about slavery and other things. Can you put that in there? A fair-minded person, it doesn't change the fact that George Washington owned slaves. So that's a, a that's a mark on his history. It's a fact. It's there. Mm -hmm. Why does it hurt to also uh, put include some quotes from him saying that slavery is bad and we never should have done it? Because right. it changes the narrative. So you don't want to put that in there. This right. is one of my favorite and most annoying there's a section on reconstruction, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't mention Grant. Yeah. Two-term president, whole <laughs> presidency within re reconstruction, decimated the Klan, you know, pushed civil rights legislation, don't mention him, but they mentioned Rutherford B. Hay, yeah. the one-term president from 1876 who made a bargain which caused the troops that Grant put in the South to, to maintain order, pulled them out as a concession to win. So they mentioned that. All fact, but how do you jump right over slavery to 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 Rutherford B. Hayes? Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Because you have a narrative you're trying to push, and nothing gets in the way of that narrative, right? There's nothing about abolitionists. There's nothing positive about whites. There's all the racist things that whites did, which are mm -hmm. true. But 
you you paint it like all whites. So you do you know most people don't realize like I have one side of my family. Um, I go back you know five or six generations, and they were from Pennsylvania. So because they were from Pennsylvania, I don't have any family at least in that my mm-hmm. my maternal grandfather's line that were slaves because they abolished slaves after slavery after Vermont, and then it was so basically if they ended slavery, but the slaves who were there, still there they could live out their their time right. They they were still slaves, but then after that you couldn't have any new slaves. And I forget the year, but it was well before slavery ended. So I go back six generations in my family on that side and nobody was a slave. Yeah. Well, right. Uh, but you don't talk about that. And they acted that every black person was a slave, which diminishes the half a million blacks who weren't slaves ever and their and their descendants. But also there's no when I say there's no positive, there's no black positive. Right. So you, you're you're suppressing black excellence when you do that, because you want to show how bad slavery and Jim Crow was, which was you know, mm-hmm. atrocious, but you spend so much time showing how bad it is. We don't get the signs. Like if you ask, you have somebody read the project, they don't walk away from it knowing Blacks were graduating from college, uh, some before slavery ended. Yeah. Uh, most of us know doing um, Black Renaissance, the 1920s, there were Blacks going to go, there were Blacks, and when the HBCU started in the late 1800s, there were Blacks graduating from college in the 18, the first in 1830, but in the 1850s and 60s. But you don't know that. You know about some inventors, but you don't know about all of the things people have done, you know, um, the real McCoy and, and you know, uh, Biddy Mason and things of that nature, because they're too busy trying to focus on the guy who built wealth and got killed. Right. Because well, and the, and the, and the fact that there were there were black people in Congress right at, right after Reconstruction, right after the Civil War. Oh no, they, no 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 no! This is a good one. I'm going back to you, but since you brought that up, so they yeah. mentioned that. Kudos to that. Oh, they did. Okay. In fact, oh Mark, oh Mark is so funny. So they mentioned that. This was in Nicole Hannah Jones' own essay, which is the longest chapter in my book because it's. it's, it's <laughs> don't read anything else. Read chapter twelve. So it's in the book, and it's a fact, and that's the one semi-positive thing that they put. The problem is, she said, Blacks, after with that newfound freedom, marched to the polls to elect the first Black senator and all these other stuff. Ignoring the fact that Blacks, I mean, that that the U.S. Senate senators were not elected by popular right. vote. Yeah. It was by it was by the state <laughs> by the state legislature, which were all white. Right. Yes. Yeah. With the exception of South Carolina, one other state. Nobody even had blacks in, the, in, in, in their state legislator, legislature. And I think Sac- uh, South Carolina actually had a majority, but that was it. That was the only state. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but, but there were, you know, congressmen and, and senators in Georgia and Mississippi and other places. So they don't talk about that. They don't talk about the North. They don't talk about what was going on in the North at that time, right? Right. And if they do, they just pick out the negative, you know, not the thriving business. Not So if the people, the slaves were leaving the South to go to the North because they were hoping that uh, there was freedom, there was still bias and there was still racism in the North, but you're acting as if they were slaves there too. Right. right. And they weren't slaves, which is why they were going there. It's, it's, well, and some people were helping them. So they and, don't count and, either. And there were biases towards people of all different colors, including white Irish people or Italian people that were coming over at those points because there were, um, and for example, uh, Beethoven was, and this is this is a little bit off topic. You're a music guy, but, I know. Well, no, no, but but he was he was considered a dark-skinned Spaniard, right? Mm-hmm. And so anybody that came from that region that would come to America would be viewed in that kind of way too. But they were still white. 
for uh, that today that would be considered white. You know what I mean? And nobody thinks about the nuances of that or the fact that in New Orleans, for example, during uh, right, especially right after Reconstruction, even before, it was a largely integrated society. Uh, the upper levels of society. You talk about the Creoles and I mean and music. It was just a rich, which is why part of the reason I think New Orleans is so rich in culture because it it grabbed, it it took hold early. And and that's the best parts I believe of America is the fact you know this 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 way of thinking about oh we can't culturally appropriate it no the reason why America leads in culture the reason why America leads in science is because we we found a way through a very messy process to take the best parts of all the cultures that came together and make something better of it right and so uh, that hits right on uh, what you were talking about with with the fact that they won't mention these things in context. And that's that's what I think really gets, and let me play devil's advocate for you for a second. So what I hear about the 1619 Project is this, well, all of American history focused on all of the good things up until this point, and the 1619 Project is now to, meant to counteract that. Um, and why are you against that? You know, why, why would you be against that kind of reframing of history that highlights all of these negative things if 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 you accept the premise that all we taught was the, was the good before? Yes. To that, I say, it's so easy, it's like a lot. I say, well, one, you use the magic word, which is their own word, mm -hmm. reframing, right? You can have that debate then if you want to put it in school. And, and I am not for vanity, keep it in school, but also teach the alternative, right? So I'm not one of those people saying they should be there. But here's the problem with that. It was also framed as fact, right? So you put mm -hmm. it in a history course like it's fact. But it's not, when you're reframing, it's not a fact, so you don't get to put it in history. So that's the first thing that me, many people push back on. You weren't teaching it as fact, right? If you were teaching it alone in your English literature classes and social studies as, as this is one view, here's another view. Why are you giving me one view? You give me another view, right? It's like no one's saying don't teach communism and socialism, but don't tell people to be communists and socialists. See, it's a difference. Right. So that's one reason you push back against it. And I take uh, exception to the first um, argument you make, sir, Mr. Mr. Advocate, John <laughs> David, uh, Devil's Advocate. You said that, well, we're teaching, pointing out the negative because it wasn't taught, which is partially true. Because in the past, all they've been teaching, they taught all the positive stuff. No, they didn't. Yeah. Now, think about your typical history class, even if you give them the argument the way they talk. So let's say they whitewashed slavery and say it wasn't as bad and all this other stuff. Maybe. But they weren't teaching solely positive stuff. So mm -hmm. that, at least when I learned history, it wasn't like, here, let me just tell you how America is greater than everybody else. They, they talk. It was mostly positive through the revolution when they talked about the revolution when you fight right. the British. But everything else, and, and mostly positive if you got to World War II. Right. The reason the allies were fighting, you know, Nazism or whatever, that was positive. You know, the the axis that was positive. Mm -hmm. But the stuff in the middle was messy. It wasn't just all everything was wonderful. That's not true. And then the other thing is, you know, if you're teaching impressionable minds, you should not lie to them. So they're right that you shouldn't be telling them, you know, uh, as Shamika said on the podcast, somebody told her kids, one of the teachers told her kids that the that the Africans came over in in apartments instead of compartments like it wasn't that bad you shouldn't be teaching them things were better right. than they were but you right. shouldn't also not be teaching them, well all whites are this 
you know, as if there were no abolitionists, as if even in the 50s and 60s during the civil rights movement, whites were white college age kids, young kids weren't going down to the South to knock on doors and register black people to vote under threat of the Klan and some being killed. You, you're uh, desecrating their legacy. But beyond that, lastly, fact is what's important. So why is it then that, okay, the DNA of America could be no America without the slavery, whatever, Europeans, blah, blah, blah. But is you're, you're, you're an academic, is Spain in Europe? Yes. I thought Spain was there. I, I, I'm not an academic, I don't know. I, don't know yeah. what was, but I thought it was in Europe. Okay, because there were slaves in Florida and Georgia and other places, modern day Florida and Georgia, in the 1500s. So why is the project called 1619 if it's about being honest? So there were right. already slaves here. You know, the French, you talk about New England. Uh, the recent times, the mayor mm-hmm. of New Orleans four years ago gave the key to the city to the king and queen of Spain because 300 years, whatever found it, you know, because the city switched hands, Louisiana purchased, you all know that. Mm-hmm. But they were like, without your, this, this babe's dedication and their uh, impact, New Orleans wouldn't be what it is today, right? So they get a key to the city, Spain. You know, Spanish. the French, the French, you know, fought wars, Napoleon did this, you had Prince who all that. New York was founded by the Dutch, Pete Stuyvesant was a racist and anti-Semite. But they all get a pass. Well, it's all, so so why not the 1513 project? Why not the, the 1521 mm-hmm. project? Because it's a narrative, it's not fact. And right. it's interesting because the Dutch, the Italians, the Spanish, and the French are all also European. So you can even keep your narrative. I write about this in the book. You can even say Europeans are bad because those are yeah. Europeans. But you, but you know why not those? Let's be honest. It can only be one. They are mostly white. They're European, and they own slaves. Why? Why just the other ones? Because out of the four, only one of them founded what is today America. So if right. I want to rip America, I can't attack the Spanish because they didn't eventually. Right fight the Revolutionary War. So we have to pick on them and just cover our eyes and ignore everything that was happening simultaneously simultaneously and before, because New York was founded in the 1600s. So they're lying to you and that's why you can't do it. Yeah, well, and I I think just to make a couple of points there, I learned slavery, and I'm almost 40. I learned about slavery in in school. I read about it on my own, obviously, but I learned, how can you teach slavery in a good context? There's not nobody. Oh, there's a way. To be fair, now you now you're gonna let me be okay. You be because I want to be honest. What they would do, I don't know. They didn't do it in my school because I grew up in the hood. Black folks weren't playing that. But some of them would say it was more nuanced, like the John John how like that's the way I describe my book. Is the the subtitle is saying calls it progressive racism. I I jokingly call it a kinder, gentler racism. So Mm -hmm. the racism we're seeing today is like I compare to John Calhoun. I say it's John Calhoun only. They have a more positive intent. And, and the reason I say that is John Calhoun was a stud. There were a lot of people who were racist and supported slavery, but they did it from an economic standpoint. It's like, right. you know, superior. It keeps us, it keeps the hierarchy. But he was open like, no, it's a good thing. They're inferior. We left on their own. They'd be bumping into each other and passing out dead because they're not that bright. So they mm-hmm. need us. Right. So from that framework, you can teach it and say, well, slavery was bad. You were old enough, but you have to understand that the black from Africa wasn't as as advanced yeah. as us. But 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 was not that smart. So you can teach it that way. You you can frame it like it was indentured servitude, which it wasn't. There's ways to do it. I'm not saying people were doing it, but there right. are ways to teach it and make it a little less, you know, the lost cause yes. thing that everybody talks about. I, but, I, no, I, but, but they write about that in the project, but no one really teaches it. No, they stopped teaching it in the 30s or something, but right. they act but, like they're still school today and that's my point is that is that 
largely, you know, millennials, Gen Xers, even even boomers, you know, especially after Martin Luther King, right? Especially after the 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 triumph that was the civil rights movement, right? And you and you there there was a long way to go, but it was it was you the reason why the civil rights movement was successful is because television showed the world what was happening to to African Americans in the South. And, and who got upset um, when it was on TV? Who got upset about it? It, all of the white Americans everywhere. I mean, that's the thing is that the the the, the natural goodness of America uh, and it's and a majority of its population said, uh no more, no longer. We're not going to allow this to happen. It took a while for that thing to change, I believe. But by the time I was in school, so you're talking about the, the 2000s, you know, 90s, 2000s, it was never a question. This was an evil practice. This was and it was taught as as its whole unit. You know what I mean? It was not something that was ignored. Yes, we had the good, you know, especially like you were talking about with the with the revolution or the many people who died in the Civil War to to help uh, um, reunite the country and end that practice. Um, but it was taught as a slavery was taught as an evil, and that's what I. And another example of this is the Tulsa race massacre, right? And I, I got into it with people who who said, well, we, this was never taught in school. This was never taught in school. And so I went and I found a textbook. I went and I found a textbook from 2001 and I opened it and I read it to them. And it was correctly framed. It was saying that the, there was evil people who attacked the African-Americans in this area. And, but their premise was completely wrong, that this was not taught. And, and, that, and, and when I showed that to them, they had no response. They had none because it, and I said, just because you didn't pay attention in history class doesn't mean that that we weren't being taught that or the students at that point weren't being taught that. Can, can I say something about Tulsa though? That's the, I love, love that segue because it's one of the best examples because you get a lot of people, and to be fair, some of the people are older. So if a, if a Tom Hanks or somebody in 50s and 60s said, maybe they didn't get taught. So everybody, once it came up, 100 year anniversary, everybody was like, well, I wasn't taught. This is proof. Thank you, Nicole Hannah Jones, because I wasn't taught that at school. And I love it. I chuckle. I said, this is my perfect opportunity <laughs> because you know what's best about Tulsa? Because some people like you will come out and say, I was taught. So hi in your face. Some people didn't talk. But then some other people will say, well, I wasn't taught. So I'm like, okay, you should have been taught that. That's fine. Here's the problem. This is what I mean by context and honesty. So when they're taught, now that they're taught, they weren't taught before when they hear about it. Look at what these people did. These people were minding their own business, innocent, didn't do anything. These people, just because of sheer racism, came and did all this stuff. All factual. There's some truth, but is it the truth? Mm -hmm. The truth is blacks because of you know, segregation or whatever, had their own neighborhoods, black only. They built them up so that they can have the same, you know, opportunities in the same type of business exchange as others, banks, clothing stores, whatever the case may be. Racists came in and burned it down. So we're so focused on the racism that we ignore that they built it in the first place, that they yeah. had wealth. Right, that there were more successful businesses in the 1940s in black neighborhoods than there are today with the internet and more opportunity. So we, we see this is what I mean by focusing on negative instead of the excellence. So the fact that they built it, but here's the best part, Mr. Bet in your textbook didn't say this. Ah, this is a great example. Your textbook, you opened it, talked about Tulsa. They said it was bad, right? Mm -hmm. Did they teach you that they rebuilt it? No. They Boom. Didn't. Yeah, right. 
<laughs> so we don't care about the wealth that got them there. They right. had to have wealth in order for the, the white racist whites to burn it down and, and destroy it. So let's talk about how they got it, right? In these right. same racist times, right? In Oklahoma and other places, because, you know, mm-hmm. we had the year, I mean, that was early, but 1919, you know, we got the, 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 the red summer where there were things like this happening all over the country, right? But to take the wealth, they had to build the wealth. So let's focus right. on that part and learn how to do it. But then no one talks about Tulsa specifically, they built it back. That's, yeah. that's page 47 of the paper. Right. Right. So what do we want to teach? We're teaching honest history. Do we want to teach nothing of Tulsa? Do we only want to teach the bad? Or do we teach blacks built up this wealth in spite of what was going on? Racist whites gave it to, took it away and burned it down, killed some people, ran them all off. They came back and built it back up. Right. Well, that's, if you want Hollywood ending right there. Why don't exactly. we teach that? Why don't because we it doesn't that? fit the narrative. I, have to say, I, I stopped watching the movies because they just keep making everything about poor black people or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. common in the black community, right? Stop showing slave movies, all this kind of stuff. But I bet if you watch a movie on Tulsa, they never build it back at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a tragedy, and it's to and it's to connect without help happened. because nobody, no, none of the federal government, none of them would give them money. They're like, today you do that, you're getting dollars, right? Right, right. Well, and they didn't it, get it, all it, that. They just but it's it just like. It's just like with the 16th, the, the goal is to connect a straight line without anything in the middle that can interrupt the narrative, right? Which Keep in mind, me- the 1619 Project doesn't say Jim Crow and racism, right? Keep in mind, mm-hmm. they don't say a progression. They said, I mean, they literally say stuff, you're stuck in a traffic, I'm not making this up, go look, the traffic board, the subtitle's like, ever been stuck in a traffic jam in Atlanta? Mm-hmm. Slavery or something. Yeah. Everything's drawn to slavery. Everything, right. everything, right. right? The reason white people sing blue, there's blue-eyed soul is because of Jim Crow. You know, I mean, literally right. the music of. Uh-huh, yeah. and that, right? Because and, of the minstrel show. Well, and I think the, if you want to call them the academic crits or the critical race theorists or, you know, whatever you whatever moniker you want to give them, um, uh, they, they go by several, but, you know, the, the Kimberly Crenshaws of it all would just right, say right. that that the context is, must always be pointed that way so we can get achieve what we want for today because that's how we convince those, you know, um, white liberal elites to give us what we want, right? It's, it's, we're going to tell them, which brings me to my next subject and what some I wanted to get to. Black Lives Matter, okay? So it seems that they have come on the rocks here lately, you know, with with some issues. But my estimation has been watching the the context, and, and I'm a bit, I, I like to watch the chronology of when this first popped up, you know, 2015, right before the 2016 election, Michael Brown in, in, in uh, uh, Ferguson, Missouri, right, and it really blew up in, in, in the University of Missouri then, and started this whole process, and then kind of went dormant, you know, maybe popped back up, uh, you know, in the middle of the Obama administration, and then boom, blew up again right before the 2020 election with with um, uh, George Floyd. So first of all, what, what do you think led to the rise of BLM in that context? Because it seems that they very much want to take this certain context and then action and, and make it actionable to achieve whatever goal that they want. At a, and it seems to be election-oriented just because of the time frame. So what led to the rise of Black Lives Matter? And what has... Do you think now that it's kind of come under some scrutiny, at least the organization itself, right? Do you think it will make a resurgence here as the elections start coming up again? Well, here again, I'm going to be give them a little grace. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a combination of two, and I understand why people think there's a political bend to it. 
because it grew into that. But I would assume that at its beginning, at its core, it was just a couple of people that like uh, that falsely believe that police are out there hunting black men. So we need to say something, right? It's not surrounded mm-hmm. by politics, whatever. We just need to say something. And then I think people who have who had a lot of money, who are political, co-opted the group and say, you know, you're out here raising money for your cause. You're raising five hundred thousand dollars. That's cute. I'll give you like ten million dollars. But and you can keep your core beliefs. Just add a few. You know, sprinkle on BDS. They're like, what's that? Just sprinkle it on. Don't worry about what it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I can keep my same thing, please. You know, racism. Yes. All you got to do is add BDS and be where we want you to be, when we want you to be. So what is BDS? Chaos. What is BDS? Oh, boycott, divest, and sanctions. The, 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 the groups that used to be on college campuses saying Israel is bad, so we need to not do any business with them, right? Whether you agree with it or not. See, this is not a, a political thing. What does that have to do with police brutality and why do black people care? Right. right. If you ask a black person, they wouldn't even care, wouldn't know what it is. Yet B, B, BLM put it on their site like a year in, a year and a half in. That was on their main page. They eventually took it down. You know, then they got, you know, and I know the founders were lesbians, but they got infused with this LGBT like everywhere. It wasn't just like protect them. It's like they need to be our leaders. They need to be in front. We recognize, we focus on cis-general patriarchy. They make right, it work. Right. Center them. Like, what does right. this have to do with policing, right? So I think that's when it became more of a political organization after people with the money came in and said, I can help you. Let's just tweak a few things. That's when it became that way. And they've done a lot of bad. Um, very little good. That's why people leave, jump ship and say, well, I'm moving away from this organization. I still agree with why we caused it, why we founded it, but what they're doing is kind of crazy. And as to your resurgence uh, question, unfortunately, probably, because most of the people who listen to them the most aren't that bothered by the houses and the money. They don't care, right? Um, the people who are bothered by it were the people who hated everything they stood for anyway. So like, like me, people write books and like they're bad, you know, I, don't, I didn't like them before. I knew they weren't doing anything with the money and I don't like them now, but I, it doesn't make a difference because, you know, and people like that. Then you have some that found out about it. Like, like, here's a quick thing I say all the time. It's like in the black community until George Floyd died, nobody I knew talked about it. I never saw a black person with a BLM shirt, T-shirt and died right. Floyd died. Well, they right. were five years old at that point. Right. right. Nobody really cared about them until then. Mm-hmm. So, and they had, they had, Big moments. They, you mentioned uh, Michael uh, Brown. Michael Brown, but there was Trayvon Martin before. There was right. Freddie Gray. There was there was Eric Garner. They had things to rally around. The people were just like, huh? Yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah, well, it's bad. I, but they, but I think they it also like, goes, yeah, BLM. I think it goes to the context of because Michael Brown, even Obama's Justice Department. Has, has has kind of refuted that narrative, you know, and and in terms of of the way that that crime happened. Not saying yeah, but they always do that. Done. But then they throw a jab on the way out. They were like, you know, we're not going to press charges because nothing was done here. However, Ferguson has a history of stopping black people. Bam, bye. Right, right. They leave right. a little trail in the background just to make you a now. So so that officer doesn't go to jail. Everything's cool. We we proved that Michael Brown wasn't innocent, but now. The city was on fire. Nobody gets in trouble for that. And oh, by the way, now the police have to redo everything they do right. because of this madness that they left. Well, behind. but who did yeah, who did right. when you when you take that back to the Tulsa race? Who did that hurt? Who did all the fires hurt? You know, who does all this violence in the city and and the businesses down there? You know, whether you're talking about um, where where George Floyd was, and uh, um, I can't think of the name of the city because I'm trying to think of it. Uh, but but. In all these areas, Minneapolis, right, um, or even Ferguson itself, right? It, it's the 
the rioting and the which I think is obviously always done by a, a smaller subset of a larger group. And whether you're talking about the the far right or the far left, and some you know, people not even in the group, right? right. It's like the bird stuff, opportunity. Yeah. Exactly. And, and and that's not a, I don't think, a, a race-based thing at all. It's opportunity. Yeah, but it's still but, your problem. If you weren't having the movement and bringing the people down there to scream, you wouldn't yeah. give an out cover to the people who sneak into your organization. Then why aren't you there stopping them, saying you're making right. me look bad and beating them with your little flags, right? right. But it, you know who it hurts. It hurts the people who live there. At, yeah. Even at its best, if the violence didn't go up, take the violence out, which is the worst part. Mm -hmm. You burn down Wendy's, Wendy's doesn't reopen. Yep. You burn family dollar, family dollar doesn't reopen, right? Mm -hmm. The white elites don't live in the area anyway. The middle right. class people can drive a, a couple miles further to the other place, but the poor who rely on that because it's close are hurt. It's the reason why in certain neighborhoods, Walgreens and places like that that are traditionally just a pharmacist, pharmacists and a couple bags of chips sell everything. You can get an apple and milk and a sandwich there because they said there's no food. But when you burn it down, now I'm back to not having a place close to me to buy milk or I buy it from the guy on the corner whose stuff right. is always a day from expiration and it's twice as much. So right. who do you think it affects? I know, give you a great example. I love talking about my mom because she listens to stuff and then she gets, she laughs when she gets mad. It's like, don't say that, but it's funny. <laughs> but but she, at the height of all these these riots, she didn't agree. You know, I don't support riot. I think it's bad. But I understand why they're mad. Good for them. They should be out there. Right. It was all hunky dory until they came up close to our neighborhood. They weren't on our street, but they shut everything down because because of the threat of these riots. And now she called me freaking out like now I can't go get my a prescription field. I can't go here and I'm afraid to go here. I'm like, but you wanted that. What do you mean? Oh, now that it's near you, it's a problem. But when you were watching it on TV in New York and Minneapolis, it was cool. Either it's wrong or it's not wrong. Right. Right. So people are affected by that long term. They're affected at the time because mm -hmm. it can get out of hand. You can't control it. When, when, when it's gone and the fires are put out and the smoke is just bellowing, then you have no businesses. And that's yeah. the best case scenario. In the worst case scenario, the bail reform people say, well, George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis and it was unfair. Therefore, here in our town, we're not going to arrest people. Well, first of all, it's not even the same town. And now you let people back out on the street. Where do you think they go? Right. What's what's going to go? Yeah. And I say, you don't let them out and say, all right, here's the deal. I know you live in this area in, in New York. That's a majority black neighborhood. And you're in jail for attempted murder. We'll make you a deal. We'll let you out of jail, but you got to go to Midtown Manhattan to live. They don't do that. Yeah. I'm going back to my mama's house. Yeah. I'm going to live with my girl. <laughs> I can't afford to live in Midtown Manhattan. Manhattan. Right. And of course, I'm still going to break the law because it's what I did for a living. It's my day job. Right. Well, and that's that's not a white or black thing. That's not. I mean, anybody who is who is, uh, you know, I come from a poor white background, and 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 we we did all right. But it's it, the people who get caught up in that culture of this is how I make a living is by doing the thing that I know how to do, how I was saw my parents doing or my family doing. There, you're always going to revert to that, or most of the time you're going to revert to that because what else? Especially after you come out of jail. Because nobody's gonna hire you for nothing, you know what I mean? Or it's gonna be very—it's much more difficult to to get hired for that, you know. And the way I see this race issue, I view it as as the Tower of Babel, man. It's like it, 
that that the people oh. all got all got together well but no, that the uh, i i believe and i believe i think there's evidence for that there's an elite class of people that uh, that is a political class that wants to uh manipulate the populace through narratives right and and th th that comes from all sides this isn't just a right a left a center i mean every you get a think tank that's well funded and they're pushing a narrative and they have a vested interest in dividing people and so when i talk about the tower of babel what i mean is that you know if you want to take it as an allegory you've got god on high right as 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 this kind of elite political class that is going to strike the people with speaking different languages so they can't build the tower to god and 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 you know bring him down so to speak because that's i i view it as an allegory it was just it was a story to illustrate something that's what i feel like has been done with race you even saw it with um the the occupy movement like you hear tim pool talk about this a lot where it's like occupy may have they started maybe probably going after the right institutions right where it's like you had the the that were fleecing the lower classes of of wealth and stuff by by gaming the system and what happened is you had certain infiltrators come in with this race message you know there's this they made it about racism and not about the institutions and so i feel just like you said where you get infiltrated on the on the on the ground level during protests by people who jump in and start tearing everything up you rem you remove the point of the spear where we're supposed to be going in the first place and i think that's what i really wish there was a way for us you know and I think America is was was a good way to do this. And I think you saw that in the in the in the late '90s, early 2000s, where where it wasn't so much on our minds all the time in in terms of a black and white issue, right? And 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 once they saw that, wait a minute, there there, there, there there's too much cohesion here. We've got to inject this again, you know. And I wish there was a way to beat that narrative, man, because it it's I I think it will mean the the failure or success of our country. You know, and and what you have been doing to help do that, because it is the common people, right? It is the common people that have to do that, because the, if if we could get us all together, you know, if we could all just get along, whatever you know, whatever you want to say about it, but we have more in common than we don't have in common, right? And and that's what I hear you saying most of all is that guess what? There are good points being made here, but we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater on any side. Right. And that we have more in common than we don't have in common. And we want to make sure that we don't lose that by letting the 24 hour news cycle, you know, and, and what that morphs into education take us down the wrong track. Right. So I, I, I want to be a good steward of your time. We've got about five more minutes left and, and I appreciate coming on. Thank you for your insights here. How can everybody follow Charles Love and, and, uh where are you at where give us give us your website give us your twitter handle give us everything all right i got a few things i guess you should check out the check uh cut the Ghoul podcast uh mm -hmm. weekly podcast with shamika michelle and wilford riley we have fun we talk about some uh important issues hopefully in some ways i try to at least ask a couple questions that nobody else because you get some people on and do interviews all the time so some things that you don't necessarily ask and we talk about everything a lot of education but uh this week we uh, talked with howard husick about his book the poor side of town about how to help people without public housing uh next week we talked to uh buck angel uh who is the uh, female past living as a man 
transgender, transsexual, uh, Buck prefers to uh, be described as. So this was a really interesting conversation, but we talked to everybody. We talked about all kinds of issues, so check that out. The second season, I think there's like 80 episodes. Go catch up. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find it on Spotify and all that, or watch it on YouTube. Uh, same thing with my radio show, The Charles Love Show, uh, in Salem, and it airs in Chicago, and then podcast um, um, airs on Sunday if you listen to it live. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at CDouglasLove3. Oh, uh, where else am I? Um, you can read me when I post this up the, the, the book. That you yes, can uh, Race Crazy. Everybody Race needs crazy. to read that, especially it hits on a lot of the topics we covered today and goes way more in depth than that. It is it is an excellent read. Um, I'm actually well, going... one more thing. I don't say this that often, but I would highly suggest uh, Race Crazy is important to understand what's going on now for BLM and the 1619 in school. But if you really want a really good uh, uh, summary of how we got here, like the precursor, when I saw it coming, uh, I would um, suggest my second book, We Want Equality, How the Fight for Equality Gave Way to Preference. Uh, it goes through history. Mm -hmm. It goes about a little bit about what was happening all over the world through from you know antiquity up. It talked about how we got to the place, the, the ugliness of America that really happened, the way we should have fixed it and how we are now. And this was written in 17 and you'll read it and you're like, how did he know this was gonna happen? Yeah, you say I was. You said at the beginning of the interview that I was like at the at the forefront of some of these conversations. Well, this is well before anybody even knew about George Floyd. Uh, right. I quickly, I, when I before I had my radio show, I was sitting in for a guy who was covering for someone who was working at the Trump campaign, and he had a political show. It was called the Liberty Hour. You can go look up some of the uh, episodes. And so when I sat in. You know, I'm the non-political guy. And I was like, what do you want me to do? I'd love to do it. What do you want me to do? They said, be you. So I was getting berated by some of the regular listeners because they were like, you're good. But why do you keep talking about this culture stuff? Race is cool. You know, there's an election coming up. I'm like, right. I'm telling you, politics is downstream. You all hear that. This is the big deal. And, and I'm saying, hey, you're not going to vote your way out of it. You're not going to school choice your way out of the education. Amen. And, and people are like, oh, God, oh, yeah. this guy. Well, and well now, you just hit the third barrel right there. I'll right. And that was two yeah. years later. They were like, wow, he's right. And then last year, about yeah, a year ago, I was saying more than race, the gender thing is going to be the issue. And now here we are. I'm telling you. Follow me. You'll learn. You'll figure out what's coming up next. Well, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you back on. Hopefully, if you if you agree to come on to talk about school choice, because I have. I, to, to I'm in the Charles Love School of trying to get to the front of issues. And, and uh, more than a, two years ago, I was talking about, hey, guys, school choice, we got some issues here we need to make sure that uh, we look at to make sure that this is actually what's going to fix our problems. And anytime you have an issue that says, you know, oh, this is going to fix all the problems, I automatically go, well, no, probably not. But definitely better than the alternative. But it's not yes. the end-all solution. You can't school, pass all the school choice uh, referendums in every state and then wash your hands and say, we we, we solved the problem now. That's right. You know, go well, look and, at what's and, going on in the private schools. And that's a whole nother episode that I hope to have you on for. But Charles, thank you so much for being here. Everybody follow Charles on everything he's got. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. Great being with you.